God, we thank you for another evening here and another evening of teaching from your word. Ask your blessing on Larry as he teaches again. Give him a clear mind, words to speak tonight, and give us uh, receptive minds and hearts as well to hear what he has to share with us. Commit this evening to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Good evening. I thought this evening we had talked about, we didn't review what we've talked about. Uh, well, sort of. Uh, maybe you have questions or thoughts about this week so far? Things that have been going through your mind that you wake up in the middle of the night? Enjoyed hearing your interaction after the sessions. What's that? Okay, well, we're going to look at that tonight, as you see. But before we get there, we talked about repentance last evening, and I'd like to think about a, well, there's a story I'd like to start off with, and kind of connecting the two, we talked about repentance, and I think of repentance and forgiveness kind of as the two feet that we can walk through life with they're different and yet they're they go together and if I can find the story that I wanted to that helps me remember some of the points it's reading this book it's called what's so amazing about grace and in the one chapter he talks about a woman by the name of Daisy was born in 1898 a little older than the rest of you. I'm not sure what year he wrote this book, but he said he was born into a working class in a Chicago family, the eighth of uh, ten children. And the father barely earned enough to make do, and then he ended up beginning to get into alcohol, and he became a mean drunk. And she would often cower when he would come home in the corner. And one day, her father told her mother that she needed to be out of the house by noon. And the children watched as she walked out with two suitcases and walked down. They stood by the window looking out to see, as, see her as far as they could. And later, some of the children joined their mother, but Daisy was one who was, ended up staying with her father. And she grew with a hard knot of bitterness, it said, in this story and many years later to everyone's surprise the father walked into a salvation army rescue mission one night and heard the gospel and responded and it made a big change in his life as we can imagine and he comes back to his children and seeking them out and talking to them apologizing to them and wanting to come back and restore relationships and at first, the children are all like, yeah, when, when's he going to fall off the wagon? Or when's he going to start asking for money? And they were a little suspicious about his conversion and skeptical and doubted his sincerity. But they began to eventually see that he was, it was sincere. 
However, Daisy vowed that she was never going to speak to her father again. All the other children, as I understand the story, were restored and, and related with their father after this. And he, but except for Daisy, she never uh, visited him, never again. She had vowed to never see him again, and she kept her vow. The father, because of his drinking, had a bad liver, and so he was in need of help and moved in with one of his daughters. And the it was in Chicago there in a row home. And he lived there with that daughter and eight doors down, same block, same row, is where Daisy lived. Now, when Daisy went to the grocery store, Daisy went to the catch a bus. She walked past the house where her father was being cared for by her sister, but she never went there. She never went to see her father. Kind of a opposite of what we saw with the prodigal son coming back and the father. Kind of different generation here, but... So Daisy never stopped there, but she did allow and she did consent for her children to stop in. And toward the end of his life, her father's life, the granddaughter, Daisy's daughter, Margaret, stopped in to see him. And she, she went in the house and he's like, Daisy, you finally came because he saw the likeness and thought it was Daisy. But um, yeah, eventually he died. All her life, Daisy determined to be unlike her father, and she never touched a drop of alcohol, never drank. However, she did develop into a very demanding mother and told her children to always be quiet and would lay on the couch with ice packs and just always hollering and screaming at them. And she was hard as steel. She never apologized. She never forgave. Her daughter, Margaret, so now we're into the third generation, her daughter, Margaret, remembers as a child coming in tears to apologize for something she'd done. And Daisy responded with this parental phrase, you can't possibly be sorry. If you were really sorry, you wouldn't have done it in the first place. And this is the type of life that she lived. Margaret then had her own tragedies, and she ended up with four children, and her son, Michael, was born, he turned 16 in 1960s when, you know, things were going there with hippie movement and rock and roll came in. And he listened to a lot of rock and roll and kind of and let his hair grow and, and went with that type of hippie commune type of lifestyle. And the words that his, his mother, Margaret, flung at him off then were, I never want to see you again as long as I live. And that was 26 years ago from when Phil wrote this book. And he said, until this day, she has kept that vow. She's never seen them. Michael moved off, and he lived with the woman and then with another. And finally got married to Sue. And he said, now this is the one. and But it didn't last real long. And he was getting a divorce and... Anyhow, Phil was talking to him on the phone one day, and the caller ID came up that, uh, that the, Michael was getting another call. And so he said, excuse me, I want to take this call. And he came back and said that was Sue. She was talking about some things, financial things, of settling the divorce and whatnot. And Phil said to him, oh, I didn't know you still had contact with Sue. I said, just making conversation. And he said, I don't. 
and he cut in using almost the same tone I had heard from his mother. He said, I hope I never see her again as long as I live. They'd been talking about Margaret, his mother, and her responses and how she wouldn't reconcile. And Phil says he just didn't say anything. There was a long pause because it was with the same tone of voice, same words that his mother had said about him. Just a, a line of continue going down. And the question is, are we going to break the chain or are we going to continue? We, don't, we can't control what has happened to us, but we can control our responses. And it's in our response, not in what happens to us, whether we are going to be successful, whether we're going to walk in life or whether we're going to go away from that and walk in bitterness and, and hate. So tonight, yeah, let's look at forgiveness. I invite you to turn, well, I'm going to be, I trust we know this story well enough, and we're not going to read, what is this, uh, about a bunch of chapters here, eight chapters, nine chapters, we're not going to read them all, uh, but we're going to jump around a little bit, and I'd like to think some about the story of Joseph and forgiveness. In chapter 37, we read in verse 5 that Joseph dreamed a dream. We know that story well, I trust. We've known it probably from a while ago, a number of years, some of us from when we grew up. And he had this dream, and he told his brothers about it, and that he was, you know, all the sheaves, they were around there, 11 sheaves, and, and his sheave, and his sheaf was lifted up, and the others bowed down. And Well, his brothers thought this was a wonderful thing. No. No, they didn't. They, they thought this was an awful thing. They, they didn't want to worship him. and But he receives this vision of what God wants to do through his life. And he tells them. And then we say the sun, the moon, the, the 11 stars bowing down to him. And, and he sees that God wants him to stand upright. God wants him to walk righteously. And others are going to walk. His brothers and his family are going to Somehow he's going to lead them. He's going to be the one who leads them and says they hated him yet the more. And so we recognize the problems here. He was also then disbelieved by his brothers. They're like, no, that, that's never going to happen. And they sell him. We know the story. They sell him. He goes into slavery and eventually is betrayed. And we'll come and look and kind of tear this story apart. But I just want to give us an overview and then Joseph eventually becomes overseer there. He's falsely accused by his uh, wife of his boss and put in God, but put in prison. But with God, he prospers. Every, as he goes, he walks in life. And then he, we know the dream that he had, and he tells the butler his dream. He tells the baker what his dream means. They get out. He tells the butler, remember me because I was put in here. Uh, not under right terms. I was framed. And the butler goes and forgets him, frankly. Uh, it's always good to feel forgotten, isn't it? Have you ever agreed to meet somebody, maybe at a restaurant or something, and you get there and you're waiting and five minutes go by and after your time and ten minutes and after a while you call and, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Makes you feel really valued, doesn't it? Uh, well, let's, let's, let's tear this up. Part a little bit. Matthew 18 says that offenses are going to come, but woe to him by whom it comes. And so we look at this, and in chapter 
45 all the way up to there, we, we see this story. But I want to kind of think about this. He was wronged in, in many ways. And first of all, he was disbelieved by his brothers, by his father. And he was also then betrayed. He was betrayed. They, they sold him. A, one that should have been loved, but he was taken from home. It was interesting. I'm not really good at geography, especially in the Holy Lands. But they tell me that from Shechem, where his brothers sold him, to go to the port where they would take him to Egypt, they would have essentially gone past, well, in our terms, maybe past the lane of his house to go to there. And, and somehow that kind of wrenches us a little bit, maybe even stronger, or feels a little more even of a greater wrong. And then he's sold as a slave. We know that falsely accused and imprisoned. And then also we said forgotten. So I'm going to take these now and look at these and think about who was doing these things. In looking at he was disbelieved, he was disbelieved by his family, his, his brothers and his sisters, and, and then betrayed by his brothers. He, the merchants are the ones who took him from his home. So I'm just kind of kind of build on these and think about who was the offending in this. And then I want to get a third category, a third column, in thinking about a category. Sold as a slave. He's sold by the merchants. He's bought by them, sold by them, and then falsely accused by his employer's wife and imprisoned then by his employer and forgotten by the butler. Now, let's go back and look at these and think about what the if we could categorize these wrongs. If we think about the first, if he was disbelieved by his family, family ought to be a place where, you know, we're accepted uh, for who we are. Family is kind of a place where everybody else may think you're strange, but as you grow up, you're uh, often fit in there. And yet he was, in a sense, rejected of his call. I had to wonder what would happen if you told your, if you were maybe the youngest of your family and you know, other brothers and you said, well, I think God's calling me to be in the ministry, to go on the mission field, to be, you know, start a business or whatever it is, uh, how they would feel. Well, yeah, yeah, you little squirt, especially if, you know, you were maybe not even a teen yet. And you told them, uh, how would that come? But also in other areas, do we see acceptance or is there a lot of rejection that goes on as we go through life? I want us to think about, our, can, can we identify, one of the questions I want to ask at the end here as we kind of put this together, can we identify with Joseph, maybe not in exactly what happened, but in some of this third category here of acceptance? Were there times where we wanted to be accepted, where we felt we should have been accepted, but we were rejected? And then thinking about his brothers betraying him. But family, love, brothers like that should love and be loved, and there should be that in the family, but it was violated. Places where we should be able to love and receive that love, and here he's, <laughs> they didn't love him at all. They really hated him, wanted to get rid of him, and, well, we know the rest of the story. And then I was thinking he was taken from home by the merchants. And as we think of his going 
the merchant's taking him away. I, you know, home is a place of, hopefully, a place of safety, a place of security, a place where we can rest, where we can be comfortable. But it violated his security, his safety. And, and then they sell him. They sell him as a slave. And I wonder, you know, how much are you worth? Not just how much are your efforts worth, your work worth. I was thinking, you know, sometimes we go, and I remember when I was growing up, in the youth group we had a slave auction where you could give a half day, you know, one of the youth would give a half day or a day's work. And, well, you know, I might hire one person because if I want carpentry work done and, and this person's worth more, their skill is worth more than the other person. But the advisors eventually said, you know, we don't like this because it kind of makes some people feel like they're not worth as much as other people. It was their, what their, their skill and their work and what they could do. But, you know, how much are you worth? Maybe we should, I don't know, as you're growing up, if you ask your brothers and sisters, how much are you worth? Uh, you might not like the answer, but sometimes we don't feel worth much either. And so maybe we've been violated in that area. Opportunities for forgiveness. And then the employer's wife. This one's really tough. When you know what the truth is and you know it's right, but it's somehow construed that you are an awful person or you've done wrong and justice doesn't happen. Truth is not made known. And then he did such a good job for his employer. He was honest and he was the one who was, you know, not being vile with his employer's wife. And should have been praised, but praise and integrity, his integrity was questioned, and instead of being praised, he was imprisoned. And then he doesn't feel very significant, forgotten by the butler, until the pharaoh has his dream, and then it's there. And so I wonder, can you identify with Joseph here? As he, just look at the list on the right, you know, are there places where I've been rejected, where I felt I should have been loved, and and it just felt like nobody really loved me. So what does forgiveness look like in these situations? I thought it was worth more, but nobody valued me. I, I thought it was significant, but, you know, significance is kind of a core need of, of life. I, I am the one who turns the lights off at our meeting house. And so sometimes I'll get one of the little ones and carry them around and, and let them turn the switch off, you know. And it's really neat because you can do that they can they can turn the switch and the lights go off and it's uh, you know they made an impact there, there's something about us that wants to be significant wants to impact our world and uh, that's there so what does forgiveness entail and how do you proceed it seems like joseph forgave as he went along but how did he do it what are the things that we can see and this is where I want to look at Genesis 45. And you can turn there because this is really valuable for us. In chapter 45, we see his brothers coming. We know the story. His brothers came. And then his brothers wanted some... Well, well, we'll get more into it. But they wanted some grain because there was famine in the land. They come back the second time and bring Benjamin along and... Eventually, he reveals himself, and that's what's going on here. He reveals himself to his brothers, and that's the part we want to look at in Genesis chapter 45. 
And first of all, I'm going to say that forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness doesn't just happen. At least for most of us. I mean, there are times where it's like not a big deal, but there are times when we're hurt, when we go back into those areas and we've been hurt in these areas that it's, we, we have to choose to forgive because naturally we want to get revenge. We want to get back. Well, let's go on down and look at this and see how, what I'd like to see especially is how Joseph responds, how he comes across to his brothers. He's going to tell them who he is. Chapter 45 here in verse 4, Joseph says to his brothers, come near now to me. He wept aloud and the Egyptians heard him. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am Joseph, does my father yet live? This is verse 3. And his brethren could not answer him for they were troubled in his presence. Now you imagine, they sold him, they didn't like him, they got rid of him, finally were rid of him. And now they come and here's the most second most powerful person in the world. Second in command of the most powerful nation that they need food from. And they come there and now they've just found out that it's their brother who they betrayed, who they sold, who they rejected, who they didn't love. What's how is it that Joseph forgave them? What was what was he doing? Verse 4, he says to his brethren, come near, I pray you. And they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother. And I came to Egypt ahead of you on vacation and decided to stay here. And now I'm ruler of the nation, right? No. What does he say? He didn't go there on vacation. Okay. Yeah, he, he says, I am the one you sold. First of all, let's think about his step here in verse 2. Then we want to come back to verse 4. It, it takes time to grieve the loss. He had a lot of time uh, to grieve the loss. He didn't see Benjamin grow up. He didn't get to be with his family. He, all these losses that he had, and it takes time. But then secondly, here in verse 4, what we just said is that it, it requires admitting that I've been wrong. See, Joseph doesn't say, oh, it's no big deal. Let's not talk about that. No, he says, whom you sold. If you, if you were my brothers, you know, he, he comes back and says, you sold. He, he just puts it out there, plain fact. He, he, he doesn't say, well, you know, I was on vacation or somehow I ended up here or whatever. No, he says, I'm here because you sold me. That's a fact. And we, we cannot forgive someone for something if we don't admit that it was wrong, that it hurt. If, if we don't admit it hurt, we can't get help. We, we can't forgive. Because if it's, you know, it's no big deal, oh, well, it's no big deal, then okay, it's no big deal. But if it, was, if it offended, if it hurt me, then I need to forgive. And, and I can't forgive unless I say, you know, that was... It was wrong of my brothers to sell me. But he says, you sold me. Now, he doesn't say, you sold me, so I'm going to give back. No, he, he, but he does say, whom you sold. He, he just lays out that fact right there. And then he says in verse 5, he says, now, therefore, don't be grieved nor angry with yourselves. That's kind of interesting. 
because he, he recognizes forgiveness is necessary, that he can forgive, but he's also now asking them to forgive themselves. He says, I've forgiven you, now forgive yourselves. Don't, don't, don't wallow in regret, because he says, don't be grieved, don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. And so he's, he's asking them to forgive, and he doesn't blame them. He says, God did send me before you to preserve life. So I took two things from here. One is that he didn't blame, but also he recognizes God's overall. I wonder, I, I still haven't, well, here's my question that I haven't figured out. Maybe you can help me. Can a non-Christian really forgive on a core level? See, we've experienced the forgiveness of God. We can trust that God will work things out, that God has a bigger picture that we don't understand that's going on here. Uh, but, but a non-Christian, one who doesn't believe in God, doesn't trust God, can they really forgive? I don't know. What are your thoughts? So maybe not on the depth that a Christian can, okay? Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts? That's kind of where I'm at because it's, and I think some of these points are really important. Probably uh, the second one there uh, required admitting to self because if I'm not going to admit that it hurt, then I'm not, then I I really can't forgive because there's nothing to forgive if it wasn't hurtful. Now, again, it may not have been intentionally hurtful, but if it's still hurt, then we can forgive, even if the other person didn't know. Maybe we, maybe we don't even have to uh, talk about it with them. That, that's fine. Forgiveness and seeing God overall is another big one, I think, here. This, this last one that we talked about. And all through, from 5, 6, 7, 8 here, talks about how... That he, he keeps telling them God is overall here. These two years, he says, there's been a famine. And he, he tells them there's going to be more years yet. And I want to take care of you. So that brings the next thing also. Forgiveness responds by doing good and often good to the person who has hurt me. Now, uh, careful, I think, order that we see in Scripture here of how Joseph gets, speaks to his brothers is important. First of all, we have to admit, uh, we have to grieve the loss and, and work it in our own lives first and forgive. But then he, we also have to admit that there was wrong. And then also going down, recognizing God at all, overall and forgiving, uh, calling on others to forgive themselves if, if they have this. And, and that's important for us as well. Sometimes we need to forgive ourselves when we have done stupid things, wrong things, hurtful things, even if we didn't intend to. And, and then seeing this, and so don't try and do good first to try and just cover it up. It feels like you could do that. But I think at the same time, doing good to the other is part of forgiveness, but it's down the line after these other things have taken place. Does that make sense? 
Again, don't be afraid to speak up. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and the world, the world didn't understand. It really confused them because they don't understand forgiveness. And, and then they did good to his widow. And, and that really didn't make sense either to the world. I was flying on a fl- plane one time from, I think it was Philadelphia to, to down in Texas. And I, we got in the plane. I sat down. I had the middle seat. And there was a lady in the window and another man in the aisle. And it's the three seats on each side of the aisle. And, I sat down, and the lady didn't like it. That it was so full, and so she found another place to sit, and the stewardess was okay with it. And so I said to the man, I said, do you, wanna, do you want the window? He said, no. So I slid over, and, hey, we have room. This is unusually wonderful when you're flying. And we were ready to take off, and I was tired, so I took a nap for 20 minutes of the three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour flight, whatever. And I woke up and got talking to the man what do you do? And he was a, he was from China and he was, he was representing a software company that the Comcast was using in our area as their software. And he was the representative from China. His family though lived in Texas and he would fly up Mondays and fly home Fridays. Beginning of the week he'd fly up, the end of the week he'd fly down. So weekends he was with his family, weeks he was up working. I was how he was doing it. And so he said, what do you do? Uh, well, often when people ask me what I do, I say I'm a painter. And I usually don't tell them I'm a pastor because that kind of scares some people or shuts down any conversation. But this time I happen to say I'm a painter and a pastor. And he said, isn't it really? His next response was somehow he said, how was it? He says, it's really yellow to forgive isn't it? <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, we're jumping in deep here. Uh, and so we started talking about forgiveness and, and, his, and the whole perspective. Because, see, he was, he was a non-Christian atheist. And as we got talking, it was very interesting because I found out that his daughter and he are atheists and his wife and his son are going to a Bible study there in Texas. And that's why this was on his mind. They're saying, you know, forgive and be forgiven. And he's saying, no, you can't forgive. That's just that's letting the person off. And it's just not right. And you don't bring justice. And, and that's right. He didn't. He understood that part. But it's hard for the world to forgive. And then forgiveness also looks for ways to grow from difficulties. As we read on here, he, uh, he was able to continue to grow and forgive even when not asked i was talking with a couple one time and was working for them and got talking to them and the uh, wife was struggling and she she had been 
violated sexually as a child by her father, and she was struggling with forgive. She said, if he would just apologize, I would forgive him. But she wasn't going to forgive him until he apologized. That was her stance. And, and this was what she was coming out with and saying. And I said, well, you know, I said, uh, did the people that crucified Jesus ask him to, you know, please forgive us? Well, no. I said, but did he forgive him? Yeah. I said, oh, what about Stephen? Well, yeah, he didn't, they didn't ask him for forgiveness either as they were throwing the stones. And we talked about this, and they're like, nah, I don't, don't really like that. You know, Joseph, they didn't ask for forgiveness, but he forgave them. And we talked about it for a while, and she struggled, and she, a number of years later, I don't know, a couple of years later, uh, she, was, she was recognizing her need for forgiveness, but struggling to do it. And she asked a lady that was walking with her through some of this as well, to pray, and that lady was actually out on the street. Her her father was uh, sick in bed, and so she went over to her father, and this other person was out there praying, and, and she went in and talked to him, and, and she apologized for how she had been and, and told him that she forgave him, had chosen to forgive him. And um, she, had, she had caused a lot of relation problems by her bitterness in the family. And now she was, she was laying it down and forgiving him and, and allowing that. And he said, her father says to her as he's laying on his bed, which ended up being his deathbed, he said, I'm really glad that you got things straightened out, but I'm not going to forgive you. And he died that way. She's free, uh, but yeah, the, the bitterness Forgiveness opens a way for God to be with us and bless us, but it doesn't guarantee the other person. But forgiveness is going to want to restore relationships when it's possible and and try to do that, but it's not always possible. We can do our part, but we can't do the other person's part. And one thing to remember about it and the challenge for this and the, the man, his name was John, that I met on the plane there, to convey to him that forgiveness is really a benefit to the forgiver more than the one that's forgiven. The world looks at this and says, if I forgive him, then he doesn't have to pay that debt. He doesn't have to, justice isn't served on him. But really, forgiveness is about releasing that from me. So what's the opposite? See, Jared's not here. Is somebody, are we planning on an intermission you're going to lead singing tonight, tonight? <laughs> okay. Is there intermission tonight? Uh, I guess Randall just walked out. Oh, we'll go on a little bit. Do you know? No? Okay. Yeah. Um, or at least a drink. Somebody will walk back in and we'll find out. Let's go on here. Uh, what's... What's the opposite? Let's look at um, what's the opposite of forgiveness. The opposite of forgiveness is, you know, do you ever get, especially, do you know what I mean by default setting? You get a computer and it kind of has default settings. And sometimes, you know, especially when they make a new program, uh, there was a corporate spoof. I'll give you this one for intermission. 
I should look it up so I could read it. But anyhow, the um, Microsoft told GM that if they had, you know, kept up with technology, we'd all probably be driving $25 cars that uh, went twice as fast and were more efficient on fuel. And micro, uh, GM wrote back, I was GM, yeah, and GM wrote back to Microsoft and said, you know, if we had kept up with technology like Microsoft, we'd probably be driving cars that every now and then would, you know, just crash for no reason and you'd have to reinstall the engine to keep going. Sometimes it would lock you out of your car and you would have to grab the antenna the, and, and the handle and open it at all at the same time, otherwise known as Control-Alt-Delete. Or if you made a wrong turn, wrong left turn sometimes, you know, the thing would just shut down so you'd have to pull over the side of the road, close all the windows, restart it, and then open the windows before you could go. And they went on and on with different things. Um, but anyhow, back to default settings. So things are kind of there, and sometimes I'm like, why did they change that when they get an update on something? It's like, I liked it the way it was. Um, but the default setting as we go through life is not forgiveness. It's rather uh, to re take revenge or other things. Yeah, we should take a break. Um, somebody have a song you want to sing? Let's stand up, at least stretch a little bit and get around.
In Ephesians chapter 4, maybe we should turn there, we recognize that the Spirit of God is the one who convicts, and sometimes we can try and make sure the other person knows how much they hurt us, and that's not forgiveness. See, the goal in forgiveness is not to make sure the other person knows what all went wrong and what the other person did. I remember one time, another story from my hall of shame, but... I was, there was a person in the congregation who was making some bad choices, was making a bad choice and, and just going in a wrong uh, way toward other people. And so I called him up and talked to him and I remember getting off the phone and Linda said uh, something to the extent of was that kind. And I'm like, yeah, probably didn't come across too nice. And got a call later that week um, and the couple wanted to meet with me. And so we met. And, and she was wrong in what she was doing, leading in a, in a, it, it was the decision she was making. She was, had the permission to make the decision, but the way she was going about it was wrong and stuff. And so anyhow, we, we sat down and they started telling me about this. And I'm thinking, you know, yeah, I want to tell you how, you know, where you're wrong. Do you understand what's wrong? And it was, I didn't hear a voice, but it was as strong as a voice that I knew. God was saying to me, Larry, you let me take care of her wrong and you worry about what you did wrong how you came across and how you said it and I apologized and we uh, they forgave me and, and we had a really good relationship she changed she changed that decision she made things right God didn't need me to, to correct her okay but he needed me to change my way of coming across and, and it's such a challenge as we are wronged, you know, we want to somehow, it's still that idea of that it's got to be justice to bring, you know, make sure that person knows how much it hurt me. Uh, sometimes they don't even know that they hurt you. And then another thing that's not forgiving is waiting for retaliation. I think of Esau in this. Esau says, wait till my father dies. Jacob steals his birthright, steals his blessing, and says, I'll just, you know, Take it easy now, but I'm going to, when dad dies, I'm going to take care and correct these things. It's not waiting for retaliation. It's forgiving. It's leaving it go. There's also incomplete forgiveness, not admitting that it hurt me. And again, if we don't admit that it hurt, then we really can't forgive. And so that's not where it's at. Now, sometimes things happen and it's like, oh, it was no big deal. And somebody maybe even apologizes. It's like, well, it didn't even really hurt me. And, and it's fine. But other times there was hurt, there was pain, and we need to do that. But also, uh, not forgiveness or the opposite types of not forgiving are becoming a victim. You know, everybody always does this to me. That's just the way it is, and I, I, that's what I should expect because, you know, the people always are hurting me. They always throw arrows at me, and they're always picking on me. And it's, just, it's just me. It's just my lot in life. And that's not forgiving. Okay, that's becoming a victim, and that's not where we want to end up. Some of the results of not forgiving are, first of all, guilt. Because we won't be able to accept forgiveness from God if we aren't willing to receive forgiveness from others. And if we don't forgive, 
we, we're, we're not going to be able to receive God's forgiveness. It's a sign that's, that we're not understanding forgiveness and the forgiveness we have of God. And so it brings bondage into our life. Matthew talks about with the unforgiving servant, how he, he was put in torment. We'll get to that part here too, but that's a type of bondage. Forgiveness takes down the boundary on my part and, and allows a restored relationship. When, when there's an offense, there, there are walls. And it, it, forgiveness says, I'm taking down that wall on my side. Are you, you know, and, and allowing the other person to restore that relationship. It allows that to happen. It also limits the Holy Spirit. In Proverbs 24, it says, Rejoice not when your enemy falls, lest I withdraw my hand. You see, there are times where God wants to work in our life, and maybe that's why this problem came, why this offense came. But if I, if, if I say, okay, God, you take care of them, and, and I start seeing that, it's like, yeah, God, go for it. God says, when I see that happen, he says, i got to withdraw my hand because I know I have to work on you instead of that person until you get it right. So forgiveness is saying, okay, God, um, I'm forgiving, and I care about that other person. I love them, and I'm not going to rejoice when my enemy falls and I'm not going to grieve the Holy Spirit. Results of forgiveness, of not forgiving rather, is bitterness. We see that in Paul's life, in Saul's life. He, he was always after David. Even when David hadn't done wrong, but he still felt like David had done wrong because of the women singing and because of how he saw people liking him and not liking him and because essentially that he wasn't following God and so he didn't accept God's consequences for his life, for his decision. And so because of that, he ends up in bitterness. And also then he and others who don't forgive try and control and manipulate things to come out to my way, to make whatever and end up with a critical spirit, always looking for somebody else's problem to make me feel better, maybe. It's sin. Also an inability to love God. First John 4.20 says, If a man say, I love God, and loves not his brother... Or he's his brother, he's a liar. That's what it says in 1 John there. He that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And so if we are not willing to forgive another, then where are we at with God? And it's going to cause doubts about our relationship with God. Because of uh, there, in, in, even in the Lord's Prayer, what we call. And depression often because too much energy is spent on the bitterness. And as well, in Matthew 18, we talked about torment. And that lady that I shared with you, she was in, in torment. And um, yeah, just won't go into it all. But, but the torment that comes because of bitterness. The definition we might want for forgiveness is, sorry, there it is. Human sin and offense sent away from self and from God. God, I'm forgiving. And see, when, and that's part of it that I'm not sure that a non-Christian can forgive because he's not sending it away from God. But let's think about forgiveness now. That's some of what forgiveness is not. Let's go on and look about what it does give. It gives freedom. It gives a release from guilt and a, an emotional healing and that guilt of, of unforgiveness. And when we forgive, uh, there's that relax. There's a healing. It benefits the forgiver. And also a spiritual healing instead of that spiritual bondage that happens. And forgiveness also restores fellowship when it's received by the other person. 
accepting forgiveness when I accept. And so I'm kind of going on the other side here. But if I accept forgiveness from somebody else, it, it makes us humble. Because if I did something wrong and, and I hurt someone and I, I owe that debt and they forgive it, it's like I don't deserve that. See, forgiveness is not deserved. And so when, when, I, or when I accept a forgiveness or another person accepts forgiveness, it makes us equal. Because at first, the one, you know, you did me wrong, and it's kind of looking down on that person. But when you forgive, it kind of brings them up, and, and now we're, we're equal. We're brothers. We're, we can walk together. And if you could just get the feeling of the, the stress that's there where there's not forgiveness and the, the relaxing, the release when it's there. For accepting forgiveness bonds us together as opposed to bitterness. That couple that came and talked to me, we are a relation, we had a fairly good relationship before that, and, but we had a better relationship after that. Now for that short period of time, that half a week, uh, things weren't so good. But uh, once they, they talked to me and, I, and they forgave me and we, we just had a really deep, a good relationship. They've since passed, but what a blessing when forgiveness is granted and received and to walk together in brotherhood. When we have received forgiveness, we also are willing to give it to others. A willingness to forgive illustrates our understanding of what forgiveness is about, that I have been forgiven. Matthew 18 explains that to us well. And a willingness to forgive also makes us an extension of God's forgiveness. You said about Mine Road, the, the mine, Nickel Mines school shooting there. And the world learned a little bit about God, about God's forgiveness. And hopefully it gave them some hope. Willingness to forgive also gives us a winsome personality. We'd rather be around that person as opposed to the one who wants to get even. Uh, let's think here. I often think in charts and tables. Uh, yeah, let's go on here. Um, when we receive, and, and just let's just look at this table here a little bit. We receive forgiveness from God, and we have eternal life. Make sense? This is yes, this is no. Yeah, okay. Okay, good. We receive uh, forgiveness from others, and there's freedom, there's joy when we receive that forgiveness. When we receive it from ourselves, there's some inner peace that I don't have that conflict because there's something, if we have the Spirit of God and God's calling us to forgive and we're not forgiving, we're walking in bitterness, then there's, there's inner conflict. But when we forgive, then there's inner peace. When we reject forgiveness from God, it's eternal death. If we're not going to come to God, we're going to try and be good enough or whatever the case, rebel, react, bitter against God. When we reject forgiveness from others, it causes disunity and struggle in relationships. When we reject forgiveness from ourselves, what word would you put in there? What's that look like? Why would you reject forgiving? Why don't you forgive yourself? Okay. Or maybe we think we didn't do wrong, right? <laughs> and uh, some pride. I shouldn't have, you know, I sh shouldn't need forgiveness because I'm, I'm righteous. I'm walking good. And it's kind of, anyhow, maybe there's some other words in there too. And I think uh, this is maybe oversimplistic, but it helps us think about 
the importance of it. Let's think about some things. What do you tell somebody who's bitter? Uh, let's just answer here a little bit. What do you tell somebody that's bitter? What should they do? Go to the doctor? No, that's not going to help them. Crawl across the floor for a mile? That's not going to help them. Forgive. Okay. So we're going to tell them to forgive. What do you tell somebody who's bitter at a person then? To forgive that person, right? Okay. This isn't, this isn't trick, but this, these questions do lead us. Now, can a person be bitter at God is my question. Next. I see yes. Okay. We loosen the next up of this. Good. And I'm not even a chiropractor. Uh, so what are you going to tell the person who's bitter at God? What should they do? Confess? Hmm. Count their blessings. What? Okay. So find out, evaluate why I'm bitter. Okay. Okay. Is it okay to forgive God? Okay. And, and, and we, we kind of wrestle with this because if God has never done anything wrong, then <clears throat> how are we going to forgive him? But at the same time, some things that have happened and that God allowed in that he gave that person free choice to hurt me. See, we want free choice for ourselves, but we don't want free choice for other people. We want God to stop them from doing anything that hurts me, right? And so I, I had a, oh, I thought I had a question mark here. I guess I changed it. Um, but I think acceptance, uh, it, it, yeah, I like the word accept because we accept how some people are angry at God, bitter at God because of he created them too tall, too short, too, well, you can kind of affect the fatness of yourself a little bit, but, um, you know, too, too big of a nose, too whatever, ears stick out too far or, or all these things. And so that would be self-acceptance, but also the idea of just accepting that God is God and that he is this way. But there's, that forgiveness is almost the same as acceptance there. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's kind of together. So anyhow, because of this chart, it kind of made me think about that. How do you, you know, do you forgive God? Well, what happens if we offer forgiveness to others? We have fellowship. Forgive ourselves. We have emotional health. Those are 
pretty easy ones. We withhold forgiveness from God. And again, we have the whole idea of do you forgive God because he's never wrong, but he's, we don't like the things. Uh, it's defiance or depression, kind of defying God. You shouldn't allow that to happen. And that's going to lead us to depression. With others, if we hold, withhold forgiveness, there's bitterness and anger. And if we don't forgive ourselves, often there's self-destructive behaviors. So what happens? We forgive those who wrong us, even though they don't ask for forgiveness. What's the result of that? The result is we are free and at peace. We've forgiven the person. They, we, we forgive them. And the way is open for that person to ask for they're they're not forgiven by God. They can ask for God, but the way is open for them to seek forgiveness from God if they recognize they're wrong and and it was intentional. So that's kind of if we forgive, but they don't, uh, even though they don't ask. Secondly, what if we forgive those who ask us for forgiveness from us? The result, well, we are free and at peace, and also they are free and at peace. And fellowships restored. So when there's forgiveness, there's receiving forgiveness. Either side, there is joy. What about if we ask for forgiveness from someone and they refuse to forgive us? We're forgiven by God because we ask for forgiveness. We're free and at peace, but they are not at peace because they refuse to forgive. And so that's where um, they're going to end up. Yes, go ahead. Hmm. There's the question of, should we apologize? I'm not sure, is this what you're asking? Should we apologize or should we ask for forgiveness? Is that your question? Okay, sort of, but not totally. Okay. Yeah. What do you think? Do we just apologize or do we ask for forgiveness? Okay. So you're saying it depends on the situation. Sometimes we should we should always apologize, but sometimes we should also ask for forgiveness. Okay. What what am I saying when I'm asking you, will you forgive me? Okay. It's like that, is there more? Okay, yeah, we're asking, we're saying, I want the, I value the relationship with you and I recognize I have done something that hurts that relationship. And so we're kind of humbling ourselves and saying, will you forgive? Now, when a person doesn't, I I remember I told you a story about uh, my shaming the children. And when I recognized that, I I called one of the children and, and they were distance away and, and I just I was talking to them and I apologized and they went on to a different subject. 
and I talked to one of my other children and was apologizing to them, recognizing, admitting that. And she said, Dad, I already have forgiven you. And she was doing well in life. The other one was not. Has since forgiven me and, and doing well in life. But as you, as, as I look at that, you know, there is still that, if we don't ask for forgiveness, and, and sometimes I believe it can be at a separate time, apologizing, because sometimes, here's the question. I don't think I have this on my notes. But Joseph forgave his brothers. What was the deal with Benjamin, the cup in his bag, having him come back? He was going to be a slave if the others were gone. What, what's going on? Why all these stuff? Why talking to him like spies, putting him in prison, leaving Simeon there till they come back again, bring him back, have to bring Benjamin along? Benjamin's framed. Benjamin's framed. He framed Benjamin just like he was framed. Was he getting revenge? Maybe, maybe he's not a good example of forgiveness. What's going on? What's that? Okay. Okay. In particular, he wanted to see what his brothers would do with. Okay. Yeah. How they would treat Benjamin. So his question, I believe, and his whole deal in this whole thing is, can I trust them? I think sometimes we get the idea that forgiveness and trust are one and the same. But forgiveness and trust are two separate steps. We cannot, if, if we've been wrong, we cannot trust until we, cannot truly trust until we forgive. It's a step. And we need to take that step. We're called to forgiveness. But sometimes we maybe think forgiveness is done and that's all I have to do. But there's, there's accepting that that's who that person is. And that's truth and that's what happens. And also going on to doing good to them. But he... He needed to know, can I trust them with Benjamin? Can I trust these men? Because <laughs> I know their character, and they, they are characters, and they, I, don't, I don't think I trust them with Benjamin. What are they going to do to him? And, and sometimes we expect people to trust. They, you know, oh, you haven't forgiven, or you trust me. No. We have to prove that trust. And sometimes when we ask for, for that person to forgive us, I think... There's in the back of their mind also thinking, I'm at, you're, you're, you're asking me to, there's, a, there's an amount of trust, a beginning of trust at least that's going on here, a step toward that. And I'm not sure if I trust you yet because you hurt me these many times. And so sometimes I think we need to apologize and prove our change and give that person time to really forgive and give that person especially then time to trust. That might be a new idea. Sometimes I think we have traditionally thought of forgiveness and trust running together. But I saw when I said that a number of you saying, yeah, that's, that's right, it's not the same. And it, it has to happen. But we cannot trust till we forgive. And so this is what we're called to. One thing yet, let's just look at here, just the thinking. Your heavenly Father also is going to forgive you. What's the rest of that verse, the beginning part? If you forgive men their trespasses, then your Father in heaven will also forgive you. 
we it's important it's really an important concept that we need to walk in life let's pray father we thank you for forgiving us because we recognize that we went our own way and we don't deserve to be your children we don't deserve your forgiveness lord but you forgive us through jesus and Lord, it humbles us. It helps us to recognize how helpless we are to save ourselves, and we cannot. And so because of that, we recognize and we want to give ourselves to you. We want to serve you and reciprocate that love back to you. Help us as we walk in life to recognize the importance of forgiving. Lord, it's painful when we're hurt, and it's, it's hard Jesus, you know, you were rejected, despised, and crucified. And we saw it in Joseph, too, how he forgave. Stephen forgave. Lord, we want to be like you. And so we ask for your continued grace. Thank you for your patience as we live in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.